you got your Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, and you know what a unbelievable truth of the love of God, he didn't just send a prophet or one of his many servants, he sent the king. He didn't just send a son, he sent his only son. Amazing love that the king would die for us. That's an unbelievable thing when you sing that and think about it. I've always loved that song. It's a great one. What a wonderful message. You know, today as we're here, how many of you are glad 2022 is gone and some of that stuff behind it? You know, I'm just thinking, Lord, it can't get no worse. Surely it's going to get better. Amen? (laughs) But you know, I read my Bible and if I'm biblically truthful according to my word it can get a lot worse but I know when Jesus no matter how bad it does get in him I've got hope how about you I got hope that my God's going to sustain me he's going to keep me he's my shepherd he's going to protect me he's going to provide for me and the greatest asset we have my friend is not what you think it is it's him you came today to church you may have a lot of needs there may be many different things we're asking him to do But none of it can compare to him showing up here today, manifesting his presence to where when we leave here today, we realize we serve a living God, the true God, and that he's faithful to his people to meet their greatest needs. Our greatest need, yes, we need healing sometimes. Yes, we need encouragement. Yes, we need financial aids and helps. But the greatest thing we need, my friend, is time with the Lord. For in his presence is our peace and our hope, the hope of being able to make it through, only comes from those who knows what it means to sit at his feet, to hear his voice, speak his word into your life, to have a relationship with him where you talk to him regularly. You might complain sometimes, but sooner or later you get to the place where you say, Lord, I don't have nowhere else to go. You are my hope. Today I want us to look and read something here this morning. We're going to talk about something that's it's in a place where you wouldn't expect it. A group of people who were believers, who were Jewish believers, who were being persecuted. They had been run out of their homes and ran from their home cities. And they were, Peter called them, the, that they were the, the, let me look and see. I got it. They were the, um, oh Lord, look at chapter 1 before we start in chapter 3. The pilgrims of the dispersion, pilgrims of the dispersion. Before we get ready to read this, the believers Peter's writing to are referred to as the pilgrims of the dispersion. They were scattered. He says they were scattered as sojourners and strangers in a foreign land. The important thing before we read this this morning, what we're going to read, the important for us things to know about this is they were scattered believers this morning as they were going through a time of great suffering and persecution because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. At least 15 times through the book of this short five-chapter book, he mentions suffering and persecution. He used eight different Greek words in their original language. Many were suffering because they were living godly lives. Others were suffering because reproach of the name that they were receiving in Jesus. They were being mistreated by the unsaved, and now here they are scattered from their homes, living as what he called sojourners and pilgrims. 
Peter wrote, though, to encourage them, but more importantly, to remind them that they have a living hope that they are to represent, that they are to tell others about, and to continue in the faith no matter what. And he's told them to do something. He said, be ready to give an answer for the reason of your hope. You know, everybody here say, oh, I got hope in Jesus. Jesus, everybody, when I was saying that, boy, I seen y'all perking up and lifting your hands. But if I was to ask you right now, describe to me, give me an answer. What's the reason for this hope that's in you? The King James says that we are to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in us. And you know, as we look here and we read this text this morning, Peter's telling them here, starting in verse 13, He says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Many an immature believer believes if I do everything I'm supposed to do and I'm good and I follow Jesus, he'll not let any harm come to me. How many of you found out that ain't always true? How many of you look at America today and if you want to stand for good, get ready. Trouble's coming your way. If you want to speak out the name of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord, reproach is headed to your house. And friends, it's always been that way. It'll be that way till Jesus comes back. And true hope, living hope, doesn't give up when everything around you is against you. It stands no matter how many is opposed in Jesus and says, Jesus is my hope. And that's what he's saying. They're all against you right now. There's people that have kicked you out of your homes, run you out of your cities, took away your jobs and you're living now as vagrants, scattered, sojourners in a foreign land. And I know it's tough, but remember that you have a living hope because you've been born again. Jesus lives within your life and in your heart. And I want you to see something this morning. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Friends, the King James says, sanctify the Lord. This is the NIV. I wanted you to read it. I know most of us have a King James or a new King James. But it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I don't know if you've forgotten this. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart that Jesus is Lord. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what anybody else says or threatens us with, Jesus is still king. Can I get amen? He's ultimately the one in charge. He says, and always be prepared, not sometimes, not most of the times, but always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, if I was to ask you today, stand up and give us your reasons. You know, the sad thing to me is that's a form of witnessing. That's a form of sharing your faith, telling what you believe in, why you believe it about Jesus. But many of us today wouldn't have nothing to say. So if you ain't got anything that you can say to explain to us why, the reason you have this hope, what kind of hope must you have? Because friends, I'm going to tell you something. A living hope is a hope that is alive, that cannot be contained. And if Jesus is in us, we should be able to do this. He says, but do this with a gentleness and respect. He's talking about doing this not to people who we know are in agreement with us, not to our other church members. He said, do this to the people who are reproaching you, who are defaming your good name, who are running down your conduct. Listen to what he says as we read this this morning. 
He says in verse 13, And who is it he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. You're blessed. You know, today, Americans, Christians, they are so surprised and so shocked when they see that America is rejecting and becoming hostile to Jesus. They're so in shock that people don't agree and love the church of Christ anymore and agree with the Bible. And that if you go around saying, I'm a Christian, people don't say, wonderful. They say, you're the problem. Today, we need to understand that we are sojourners in a foreign land. We're pilgrims on a journey. This is not our home. We're passing through. And I don't know about you. I'm so thankful I'm passing through. But along the way, we got loved ones. We got fellow Americans who need to hear the message. The very ones that are speaking against it are the ones who need to hear it the most. The very ones who don't understand our type of life, the life in Christ, are the ones who need to see it the most. And as you live out the life of Christ, the Bible is sure that we will experience Suffering and persecution. Look what he goes on and says in that. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Friends, we must again overcome the enemy's threats, their intimidation, their speaking to us and making us remain quiet for the things of God. And we must speak up again. We must stand up and we must be the ones who shout From the housetops, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, regardless of whether they want to hear it or not. Look at what he tells us. We all have been saved. We all have this living hope. We all have a relationship with Jesus. They don't. So, of course, they're not going to understand. Of course, they're not going to see things the way you do. Of course, they're not going to be able to know what it's like to surrender your life to the lordship of Christ. But the first thing he says right here to do But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, your good conduct in Christ, not you're going to church, not you brought them a cake, not you cut their grass, no. Your holy life. Your sanctified, set-apart lifestyle. That's what he's talking about. That they revile your good conduct in Christ, but that they may be ashamed. He said, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for good than for doing evil. Now, that's what I wanted to preach from. And the main one I want to preach is from that verse. But I want you to see what comes out of this text. And it comes right out of our everyday living today. The ungodly will... And do persecute those who do good. We're living in days that prove this to be true. He's asking them. And who is it who will harm you. If you become followers of what is good. You know who will? Those who don't want to do good. (laughs) If you want to live godly. And stand up for righteousness. Those who don't. Will oppose you. They will come against you. He says. But do not. Be afraid of their threats. Guys, I'm here to tell you, if we're going to tell people about 
why we have hope in Jesus, the reason why we follow him, the reason we go to church every Sunday, the reason we read our Bibles and study, the reason we pray, the reason we abstain from worldliness and materialism and covetousness, the reason we are committed to being sanctified and set apart and making Jesus Lord in our life. Why is that? Because one day, my friend, he saved me. How about you? In 1997 of this very month, January, in a little road, a little house, right outside of Pulaski, it called Short School Road, in a little old cabin. I came home from work one day, and I was at the place where I was to give up on everything but Jesus. And I knelt, and I've told you before, and I met Christ. And I don't know about y'all, but since that day, somewhere along the wall, I'm about like Paul. You know, Paul, he, 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 he says that, you know, he is believing, he's committed that he has belief that Jesus can do what he says he can do, that he is able. And friends, today, that hope that we have is something that we need to be giving away each and every day, even if someone does persecute us. Because, guys, I can promise you, if you're going to live for Jesus, suffering persecution for righteousness is a biblical guarantee. Now you say, why are you telling all this if you want us to witness? Because you know why? Until you embrace this fact, until you accept it as part of being a witness, you're never going to witness. There is no way to, you know, there's a thing we was taught in seminary, sharing Jesus without fear. I ain't found it yet, amen? I took the course, made an A, graduated from seminary. Friends, look, sharing Jesus involves fear. It involves overcoming those who don't want to hear it. And guys, listen. The Bible says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we don't step up in America again as the church, we don't have very much longer. There's not going to be much of a living church in America. If we don't start standing up for the gospel for Jesus and for the truth of his word. If we just come to church, hear preachers, amen, and remain silent and go home and do what we've been doing for the last 30 years, I can promise you the next 30 years are going to get even worse than they have because the church don't witness no more. The church does not stand up and give a reason to lost people for the hope that I have in me, for the why I follow Jesus. And friends, listen, the Bible is clear. That if you follow there, there's going to be some trouble. He says in James 5.10, my brethren, that's us. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and endurance. Have you read and studied the life of the prophets? Have you seen what they went through so that we have a Bible to read? So that we have a witness to the Lord Jesus? Friends, listen to this. In Hebrews, it says Moses rather would rather he said he rather to suffer affliction with the people of God to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin that's what the bible says it says Moses who was accepted he was adopted as Pharaoh's daughter's son but he left all that he gave that privilege up he gave that right why because he was a Hebrew he was chosen he was a child of God and he allowed himself to stand and be identified I'm not Egyptian and against all the persecution that came, he would rather suffer the affliction, the Bible says, with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin. 
esteeming the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Egypt was like America. It had the greatest treasures in the world at that time. They were the wealthiest, richest country in the world. And Moses was in the household of the palace. He was the king's prince. And he left all that. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I look in the book of Acts and I read it, we all want to be like the early church. We all want to have what the early church seen. We want to see a great day of Pentecost and a falling of the Spirit and a movement and the Word of God going forth with power and the church being added to daily and lives being changed and miracles being performed. But remember the cost that they paid. At the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and the church was begun and the Spirit fell. 3,000 souls were saved in chapter 2 and 3. By the time you get to chapters 4 and 5, Peter goes into the temple one day and there's a, a man that had been born lame and Peter sees that he's lame, born crippled from life and the man's begging for alms and he says, give me some silver and gold. And Peter said, silver and gold we don't have but what we do have we give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand! And the man stood to his feet and he was healed. And he went to jumping up and down all over the temple. And everybody's saying, how did this happen? And Peter said, let it be known that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this miracle has been performed. And he is your Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one who can forgive you of your sins. And they preached the gospel. Do you know what happened? Man, they got excited. They took him to the church and they gave him a, a preaching ministry and he got rich and he got put on TV. No. <laughs> he got put in jail. And they put him in jail and he stood before the Sanhedrin council, the same council that took Jesus and falsely accused him and had him crucified. And they put him in prison. And listen to what it says. After they took him and John and they couldn't figure out what to do with him because everyone was excited about that miracle God had done. And they knew, they said, if we do anything to him, all the people's going to be upset with us. But if we don't do anything, they're going to keep telling people about Jesus. So they said this is what they did in Acts chapter 5. Verse 40, it says, so they agreed, and when they had called for the apostles, Peter and John, and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let, they, they let them go. So they, uh, they ran home and said, oh, we got to leave. We got to go somewhere else. <laughs> no, the Bible says they departed from the presence of this council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of the name of Jesus. And it says, And daily they went into the temple. In every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You see, guys, they looked at it as a blessing. They looked at it as we're so close to Jesus that Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they didn't accept me, they're not going to accept you. But guys, listen to this. Suffering persecution for righteousness is a biblical guarantee. I showed you that. But suffering persecution for righteousness, according to the Bible, is a blessing. Look at what he said. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And then look at what he says down in the verse right below that, right under the one we're going to preach out of here in a minute. In verse 16, he says, But you have a good conscience, meaning 
Live your life to where you're not guilty of anything. That when they do defame you as an evildoer, defame, you've been defamed lately as an evildoer. You know, someone said one time, if they was to make being a Christian against the law, would they have enough evidence to put you in jail? Think about that. Has anyone lately defamed you as being an evildoer because of your Christianity? Listen to what he says in this next verse. Next bottom part. He says, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Now, how many of us lately, because of our zealousness and our overcommitment to Christ, has gotten trouble at work? Now, how many would you admit that most of the people you work with is hellions, heathens, and need a good dose of Jesus? How many of you that go to public school, we know the trouble of school. How many of you live in a neighborhood that none of them went to church today but you? None of them give a rip about Jesus but you. When's the last time your neighbor shunned you? Because of your faith in Jesus. You see, we look at it as, oh my God, they're upset. They looked at it as, praise God! My faith and my righteousness. I'm getting to share the shame of Jesus with Jesus. I'm suffering just like Jesus. Throughout the Bible, especially in this book, Peter tells us that if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Look at it with me. Turn to chapter 4. In chapter 4, look at what Peter says in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Is thus so strange thing happened to you? Look at verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you are getting to partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then look at what he says in verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. On their part, he has blasphemed. Yeah, they blasphemed Christ because of your righteousness and your Christ-likeness. But look what it says. But on your part, he is glorified. And look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Now, guys, I don't know if you figured this out. But if you speak up for Jesus, if you stand up for Christ, if you become someone who shares and goes and speaks out against the things that we see that are so opposed to God, you're going to get looked at differently. And guys, listen, we're never, ever going to change this community, this parish or county or this city when we sit here and never leave here and go be the voice of God. Now, friends, it's, no one's going to get saved unless they hear the truth. Now, I want you to think about what he's talking about here. According to what we just read and what we've seen, persecution can cause blessing or bitterness in the Christian life. It can. Response determines the result. Friends, whenever you recognize yourself and identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, publicly and in your circle of influence, people are going to look at you different than when you just go to church. 
Whenever you say, I am committed to the Lordship of Christ, I believe the Bible from the front to the back. I believe the introduction and I believe even the maps are infallible and inerrant and without error. They are the blessed word of God and I believe we are held accountable to live by it, to practice it, to teach it, to preach it. And Jesus is the whole theme of it all. And friends, listen, response. When someone comes against you because you say, I'm a Christian, if you look at that and you don't do anything, and when people begin to, if you don't understand what God wants us to understand here, you'll become bitter and you'll become despairing and you'll lose hope. You'll become hopeless. But if you'll stand up for Jesus when someone persecutes you, and if when they start telling you about you need to shut up with that mess. You need to keep that Jesus stuff in your church. It don't belong in, in the courtrooms. And it surely don't belong up in Washington, D.C. It don't belong at work. No, it belongs to every person. The Bible says that we are to tell everyone who asks a question, who looks at us and wants to know why we are this way. Friends, listen. When you respond and stand up the way God's saying right here, I promise you, Persecution will begin to be a blessing to you. It won't be something that you think of as negative. You'll begin to think, man, this is positive. Now, I want you to see something. Response to persecution and suffering. How does the Bible say to respond to it? Paul's right, Peter's writing a letter to people who have lost their homes, their livelihoods, and they are scattered about like pilgrims. They're the dispersion, it's called. They've been dispersed throughout the countryside with no home, no country, and all they have is Jesus. So he's writing to encourage them. And listen what he tells them to do. He says, who is this going to harm you? But even if someone should harm you and you suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. So don't be afraid of their threats. Don't let them intimidate you. He tells them in the verse below, verse 15, he says, having a good conscience, keep living for God. Don't quit. Don't let them make you compromise. Don't make them let you throw the word of God to the side. Stay in the word. Live out the truth. Be an example of light in darkness. But guys, listen. He tells them right there, when they, look at that verse. When they defame you as an evildoer. Guys, I don't know if you've been listening lately, but we have congressmen and senators and even presidents that look at the problem in america is this jesus they don't want christ in america they look at anybody who stands up and says the programs that you're presenting and the platforms that you are supporting are unbiblical they're ungodly and they're going to bring us problems you're a problem then but we got to speak up sooner or later or it's going to get worse and worse and worse. You see, sooner or later, you got to get to where he said. you got to be willing to defend what he's telling you to do. I want to give you four responses to suffering, to persecution. It comes from this text we're looking at. The first thing, he says, continue to do what is right and wrong. He says, if you choose to follow good, who will harm you? Some people will try. But he says, you got to continue to do good. Keep doing what's right. Friends, I don't know about you, but if you look at the church today, 
I've been preaching 25 years, coming up on 26, and the church is getting more and more liberal. It's compromising more and more. Instead of us standing our ground and saying we've went as far as we're going and we're not going any further, we stand on the word of God and we're not bending, but we back up. Friends, listen, the world has not only influenced the church, the world has taken over the church. And the church is more like the world today than it ever has been since I've been alive. And it's growing quickly and further to the left. Friends, what changes it? Standing up. Teaching. I got loved ones who I love and adore. Who, if I'm going to ever make a difference in their life, I'm going to have to confront them with the truth. I'm going to have to tell them the truth. And friends, listen, you do too. So we got to continue to not only believe what's right, believe and understand what is good, we got to do what is right and good. And there's nothing more right, there's nothing more good than you can do than follow Jesus and make him Lord. That's what your first thing you got to understand. Look at the next thing he says to do in that text. He says, sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. What's that mean? It means make him Lord. Put him first. Friends, what he's saying is set your heart on Christ and his great hope that he's given to us. And friends, how do you set your heart on Christ? What does it mean to sanctify the Lord in your heart? It means this, Jesus, you're first, not second, not third, you're first. There's nothing more important anymore in my life than you, Jesus. And that means that I'm not going to give my affection above and beyond anything else to you. You're going to give my first love. Not only are you going to be my first love, but I'm going to give my attention to you. I'm not going to give my attention to anything else that's more than you. That means, Lord, that you not only have my affections, but you have my attention. And, Lord, every day, it's me and you going to start today. Me and you going to live today. And me and you is going to end the day. And, Lord, I'm sanctifying you in my heart. I'm putting you first. Lord, I believe that it's worth giving my life because you gave my, your life for me for this great hope that I have. And that's what he's saying to do. Look at it right there in verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Guys, listen, no one will ever always be ready to give a defense for the reason you have hope in Jesus until you sanctify yourself. You know why? Because if you aren't sanctified, you're as jacked up and your life is as ungodly as the rest of them. It's hard to tell someone, man, you need Jesus. He changed my life when your life is more messed up than his. That's why he says you got to have a good conscience. We're going to look at that in a minute. But friends, not only do you need to set your heart on Jesus, make Jesus first. Make him your first affection. You love Jesus Give him all of your attention. Spend time with him. Pray, really pray. Get in the word to listen to him, to let him speak into your life. Spend time with him. You know what I've come to find out? The devil is so smart, he understands that the majority of God's greatest work in a person's life who's saved doesn't happen in churches. doesn't happen in corporate worship. It happens in the solitude of being alone with our Lord. Sitting at his feet, listening to that still small voice 
And that word of God being able to have time to penetrate your heart, to change your heart, to, to change and to take your mind so that you're no longer conformed to the world, so that Jesus can transform you into the image of himself and make you holy and sanctified and make you a vessel that he can use. And friends, listen, we are so caught up in running to and fro. Most of us can't even find time to come to church on Sunday regularly anymore, much less to spend time with God. But may I tell you, we sang that song, same God, he's the same God. He doesn't change. He doesn't come. Well, I know they're busy nowadays, so I'm going to have to find another way to reach them. No. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. If you hunger and thirst for me, you will find that I will meet that need and quench that thirst. But you got to give me affection. You got to give me your attention. And the last one of all, if you're going to set yourself apart and sanctify, you got to give him your allegiance. Most of us, any old thing the devil throws at us takes the place of church. Any old thing that comes along. Any activity, any sport, our, well, we, you know, we come to church, but our kids, they, they, they own that sporting league, um, travel league. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I ain't here to put down on all that. That's good stuff in its place. But none of it is more important than Jesus being first. And that's why we are where we are. But listen to the next thing that he says to do. It comes from verse 15 too. He says, if we truly have spent time with Jesus, and Jesus is our hope, he's our, just what I was talking about, we've set apart, we've sanctified Jesus in our heart, and now he has our affection, he has our attention, and he has our allegiance. Guess what? You're going to begin to become ready. You're going to be able to give an answer and defend your hope that is in Christ. Because you know what? If you ain't looking to Jesus on a regular basis, I know I'm not a legalist. If you don't spend your quiet time with Jesus every day, you ain't right with God. If you don't give adequate time to Jesus, you can't be a really Christian. No. But if you give more time to the world and to the flesh, and the devil has more control of your activities than Jesus Christ, and you hear more from what the world wants to say than you do from Jesus, and you talk more like the world, and you act more like the world, and you are, then you're of the world. Jesus has to have his place. But guys, listen, once we get right with God, if we are really going to get right with God this year, and everybody said, boy, I want to get right. I want 23 to be better than 22. Then it's going to take sanctifying our hearts to Jesus. Getting ready to give an answer to defend your hope in Christ. And if you do that, people's going to defame you. <laughs> They're going to. Say things about your conduct. He thinks he's better than everybody else. He thinks he's so righteous. That's why he tells us to do it with meekness and humility. We don't go tell them why all cocky and arrogantly. We, we do it with a broken, a contrite, a spirit of humility. That's what he says in that verse. He says... And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. 
with meekness and fear. He's like with meekness and reverence. That's what he's saying. Whenever we talk to somebody about God, man, that should be a humbling thing. It should be something that does have a a degree of fear. A fear that we don't hurt them, but we help them. And guys, listen to what he finally says, that last thing. Keep a good conscience. He says, for Christ, if we're going to represent him, he says, have a good conscience. Why do we have to have a good conscience? He means, don't be doing things that you're not. Don't act like you're something you aren't. So that's why we have to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. That's why we got to keep doing what's right and doing what's good. And friends, listen to what he says right here. And I'm fixing to show you something. I'm telling you, it's going to get good in a minute. I know this is tough. We're like, oh, Lord. But I'm going to show you why God allows this to happen to us. Anybody can say, oh, God's wonderful when life is wonderful. Anyone can say, boy, I got all kind of hope in Jesus when you're rich and you never have financial problems and you live in a big home and you're sheltered with a wonderful retirement and you don't have any problems. Your life is pretty much secure in the things of, and, and, and you're not going through trouble. You're not being suffering. But guys, I'm going to tell you what. When God begins to put the pressure on us, <laughs> and he begins to squeeze on us, and he begins to allow things to come against us that are difficult, things that are, people are opposed to, it's easy to tell people about Jesus when they are, oh, man, that's wonderful. But what do you do when people say, I don't want to hear it? Why do you even believe in this Jesus? And someone told me this week, someone told them that the King James Bible, it ain't even true. What do you tell them? I'd say, how often do you read it? (laughs) Have you ever read it? So you're judging something you don't even know nothing about? All I can tell you is I started reading it, and all of a sudden it started to come together. Friends, I don't know about you, But we got to learn to confront people back how they confront us. They tell us all the time that Jesus is a myth. We don't believe in the church. Guys, listen. If we live our lives right, though, when we tell them, and they don't have anything that they can hold against us, but when you start telling them you need to live for Christ, and they say, well, what do you do? You go to church on Sunday. Yeah, but what are you doing the rest of the week? You're down there at the bar with me. You're over there doing what I do. You ain't no more different than me except you went to church Sunday. That's why we got to keep a good conscience. And I want you to see something. Be ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is where? In you. The hope is in us. And guys, that hope is the Spirit of God in us. If we live a life that does not grieve the Holy Spirit, that does not quench the Holy Spirit, but allows the Holy Spirit to work through us, we will never be hopeless. We will never be in despair. We will never be perplexed. We might get struck down, but we'll get lifted up. My friends, you can't get knocked down when God's got control of your life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You see, where's he put that hope? Where's he put this life that gives us living hope? He puts it in you and you. And me, it's not in the church, it's not in the programs, it's not in the way you have organized your life around you that gives you hope. The hope of God comes from what's happening inside of you. And the amazing thing, turn to this with me, God showed me this this week. Everyone's been saying, why does God allow us to suffer when we're doing good, when we're trying to do what we ought to do to make us effective? 
You see, if God blesses everything we do, people would think, well, of course you believe in Jesus. He's blessed you. He's gave you money. He's gave you a good job. He's gave you a wonderful home. He's gave you this wonderful life. But what do people do when we get locked up in jail and we still talk about him? What do people do when we're being persecuted and it's costing us and it's taking away our peace and it's taking away what we consider the wonderful Christian life? Well, friends, that's exactly what God wants people to see sometimes. We don't always suffer, but sooner or later, you do. And I want you to see what Paul says about suffering and about what I'm talking about in a different way. If you look with me in 2 Corinthians, look at chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Look at verse 7. You say, where is this hope? We're to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in you. Well, man, if we want to be ready and we want to make a difference in other people's life, look at what he says in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Friends, it ain't of us. We'll give up. We'll, we'll be in despair. When, when hard times come, if you don't have Jesus right in your heart, if you haven't sanctified him, if you haven't set him apart, if you're full of all kind of stuff in your life that your conscience is guilty, that ain't supposed to be there, if you're living a corrupted, hypocritical Christian life that's full of all kind of hidden things that you're ashamed of, you'll never have the power of God, my friend, working in through your life. Not that we're perfect, but we got to be repentant. We got to be confessing. We got to stay close to God. We got to be honest. We got to be sincere. We got to be real and transparent with God and one another. We got to have changed lives if we want to change a life. So God puts the power for that to happen in an old earthen vessel, just like Sam, just like Hannah. The only difference between them and every other young couple. That makes them usable for God is they saved. I believe the Holy Spirit's in them. That treasure is in them. But guys, it ain't always easy letting that treasure be manifested for others to see. If it was always because we're so blessed that, man, I want that house. I want that car. I want that luxurious life. No, look at how he says he does it. We are hard-pressed on every side. You ever had that happen? I'm hard-pressed. Everywhere I turn, God's pressing. He's allowing things to happen. But I'm not crushed. Ooh, that's hope. Look at what he says in the next one. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. You watched the news lately? It's a perplexing world we're living in. It's a perplexing every day of my life. I see something that even is more perplexing. Something more I can't understand. I don't know how it could be this way. We, we were supposed to be becoming more intelligent. We're supposed to be becoming more smarter. We're supposed to be creating wonderful things to make life better. But it's worse. This seems like the smarter we get, the dumber we get. The more ability we get to be in our flesh and do it our way and do it without God, the worse it gets. But you know what I keep finding out? Since God came into my life, it is a despairing world sometimes. But it's a perplexing world. But I ain't been in despair. I've still got hope. <laughs> and listen what he says, the next one. This one here is unbelievable. He says, God puts it in us. He says, we're persecuted but not forsaken. How many of you have been persecuted before? I've had people in this church tell lies on me. Go around and try to get people to turn against me. You know who defends me? Not me, not you. The king. 
Since I've been in the ministry, more times than you would ever want to count, I've had people say, we want to get rid of him. But you know what I've come to find out? Ain't nobody getting rid of me. The God's ready for me to be gone. If I'm living a life where he's sanctified, where my conscience is clear, because I've had them call me on the mat. And you know what they said? I know you ain't happy with him, but we can't find anything unbiblical or immoral. There's nothing he's doing wrong. You see, you will be persecuted. But if you're living for Jesus and Jesus is living in you, he'll not let you be forsaken. He will stand. So we need to understand the world will persecute us. But God will stand with us. Look at what this next one he says. Struck down, but not destroyed. You ever been knocked down, Jonathan, and wondered how you was going to get back up? I've given up more times than I care to confess. But Lord didn't give up. And he got me back up. Why is he doing that? This is a hard thing to understand, but look at what he says. We're always carrying the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. You see, you're not going to be able to manifest the life of Jesus unless you're willing to accept the dying part of it. And listen to what he goes on and says right there. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Yes, there's going to be hard-pressed times, but we'll not be crushed. Yes, there's going to be perplexing times, but we're not going to be destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord. We'll be struck down, but we won't be kept down. Friends, Look at what God is doing in our lives. How many of you loves it when you get around somebody who is full of Jesus? Who has got a life that when you get around them, they're not religious, but they're Jesus. And you can sense God in his presence in that person's life. He's a blessing. He's a fountain in a dry land. And grace is coming from him and joy and um, all the things of the Holy Spirit are coming out of that person's life. You see, God wants to lead us around. And he wants to lead us in triumph. Triumph against difficulties. Triumphs against opposition. Triumph against afflictions. To where people are seeing all that happen to us. But we are still got hope. We're still praising Jesus. It's, still, it's easy to praise Jesus when you got 450 people giving you money and you got all kind of money. Them preachers on TV, they're multimillionaires. <laughs> I don't want their Jesus. Because I got a strong suspicion that if you took their mansions and you took their million dollar ministries that they might cut tail on my Jesus. But I got some preacher friends who ain't doing it for any of them reasons. They struggling like me. They telling me I want to quit, but I don't know what else to do. I'm called. I don't have a choice. I got to keep preaching. Yes, brother, let me encourage you. You encourage, And they preach in Jesus, and they share in the word, and they stay in true against everything. And friends, listen. If you look here, he says that we are going to be to some people the smell of death, and to other people, the smell of life if we walk with Jesus and let him lead our life. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to close. This is, I said, Jesus, it's okay. If I got to suffer, just let me smell good. Let me have the aroma of Christ diffused from my body. 
Look at what he says that he's doing in our lives. This is unbelievable. Only God can think of this. There's no way a man would ever come up with this. In 2 Corinthians, go back to chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, if God's leading your life and he's Lord, that means when he's leading you to perplexity, he's still God. You're in triumph. When he's leading you against difficulties and you're being struck down, he's still God. You're still in triumph. Wherever he leads you, my friend, is for a purpose. This is the purpose. Furthermore, when I came to, he says, I had no rest in my spirit. I'm sorry, verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Every place he's leading us in triumph through difficulty, through suffering, through persecution. He wants people to look at us and he wants people to get a wolf of him. How many of you know what essential oils are? Man, I hate them things during deer season. Them grandkids all sell them and they keep giving her a new diffuser every birthday Every Christmas, every time we turn around, she gets a new diffuser and a new bunch of oils. And at my house, they pumping out everywhere. And they stink. And if you want to go hunting, they get in your hair. That's why I cut my hair. Now I'm joking. They get on your clothes. And they, they're oils and they smell. And she's got some of them. They, some of them, one of them she had smelled like back when I used to smoke weed. But they're diffusing a smell. And when you're sitting there, you can smell them smells and they'll make you start thinking different. Jesus wants our life to be a diffuser. That everywhere we go, the fragrance of Jesus is coming out of me. And for that to happen in the way he wants, sometimes he's got to put pressure on us sometimes he's got to put us in a place where we don't want to go sometimes he's got to let things happen that we don't want to happen but if hope is in you because jesus is in you you know what's going to come out of you hope not despair joy and friends listen what he says right here to some people who smell us when we're walking in triumph in victory and we're overcoming suffering and we're living a life dedicated to God not a church not a religion we may not do everything you want to do as a church member but if we walk in with Jesus and we follow in Christ and we embrace in the life of Jesus even in suffering no matter where he sends us from our life the fragrance of Jesus comes out and look at what he says in verse 15 For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So to God, wherever he's sending us, the fragrance of Jesus is coming out of Marvin. The fragrance of Jesus is coming out of Jonathan. The fragrance of Jesus is coming out of you. Wherever he sends you, to those who are being saved and to those who are being perished. Look at the next verse. This is why they hate us. To the one... We are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. Friends, to a person who don't want our Jesus, who's ungodly, who don't want righteousness, who doesn't want goodness, who wants to live outside and without God, the last thing they want smelling up their house is Jesus. 
And so, yes, but you know what? The more they mistreat us, the more they speak against us, the more we with humility, the more with reverence, we say, but let me tell you why I'm like this. That's what we need to do. Instead of getting mad at them, instead of judging them, they ought to go to hell. Hey, we all ought to go to hell. Thank God you ain't. But we ought to take time to say, I know that you question me and question my beliefs. But even though you don't agree with me, I want to take time to tell you the reason for my hope. I want to take time to give you an answer and explain. If you're going to go against me, let me defend me. And we need to stand. We need to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in us. And friends, I'm going to tell you what. For the one who's going to get saved, man, we're going to smell like life. We're going to smell like Jesus. He's going to be drawn to that. But to the one who is opposed and who has already made up his mind, who has hardened his heart, who's kicking against the goads, he's going to not want anything to do with it. That's what life does. You see, light and darkness cannot coexist. Friends, it's kind of like this. We are here to be hope dealers. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I met Jesus back there at Short School Road right outside of Pulaski in 1997, I was a dopehead. But you know what I am today? I'm a hopehead. <laughs> I'm always saying, God, give me some hope. I want more hope. And you know what? Somebody gave me this shirt for Christmas. Sandy gave me this. I wore it for y'all today. You see, people trying to get by on dope, God took away my dope and gave me some hope. How about you? And I don't know about y'all, life ain't easy, it ain't always good, but I've been having hope ever since. And you know what? I was thinking, man, I'm the hope dealer. Boy, I'm a preacher. But you know what God told me? You ain't no hope dealer. <laughs> Jesus is the hope dealer. And you know what I come to find? I used to go high and low looking for a dope dealer. Man, I'd drive all the way to New Orleans, walk down in the ninth ward on a Saturday night at 1 in the morning with nothing but $100 bills and a gun and say, anybody got any cocaine for sale in the middle of the ninth ward? Anybody know what that is? Man, I'd do anything. I was hungry. I was, de- I was, I was de- desperate to find dope. How desperate are you this morning to find hope? Because I can tell you, he's one prayer away. He's a confession away for somebody. He's getting right today. You know what I've come to find? The more I give of him, the more he gives of me. And the more I get of Jesus, the more hope I got. Yes, it's sometimes despair. Yes, it's difficult. You know what I've come to find? The same Jesus that was there in the Old Testament is the same Jesus here today in the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same one who could heal and do miracles in the Bible days in the book of Acts can do them today, my friend. He's here, my friend. The greatest miracle he does of all. As he comes into your life, he takes up residence. He fills you with his spirit, and he lives in you, and you have a living hope from that day ever since. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know about y'all, but I was trying to say this a while ago, and I got tongue-tied. The devil had me still, but the spirit doesn't kind of give me a little liberty. So I want to share this with you right quick. Friends, Paul, I so much adore Paul and Peter. But Peter... Paul said this, he says, for this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I have persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know how it happened. But if you want to ask me the reason for my hope, 
I met Jesus. I didn't know much about him. I had never read the Bible. I started reading my Bible. I started praying. We started going to church. We started making Jesus Lord of our home. We started trying to follow the Bible. We found a church where they was all serving the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what, somewhere between 1997 and today, I got persuaded somewhere. (laughs) I'm convinced. And I'm not ashamed to say, whether you want to believe in him or not, he's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's the hope dealer. He's the only one that will ever make life worth living. He's the only one that will fill that void that you're trying to fill with everything else that's empty, that leaves you thirsty. Jesus, my friend, is worth suffering for. Jesus, my friend, is worth being persecuted for. There ain't enough hell-bent, backslidden church members to run me out of where God puts me to preach. I'm going to preach Jesus. And you know what I've come to find? They usually leave before me. Because Jesus puts you there, he'll keep you there. And friends, today, we have an awful, believable truth jesus lives in you what's coming out of your life right now when god looks at you what is diffusing from you do you smell like life or do you smell like death today all you gotta do is come up here and make some deals with jesus he's the dope dealer the hope dealer he'll bless you i'm gonna pray and i'm gonna ask you to come and get your life right with god if there's stuff in your life that your conscience is bothering you for if you're saved give it to jesus if you're not saved christ died for you so that you can be saved And friends, today, I don't know about y'all, if you want the coming year that be more hopeful than last year, which was pretty bad, more about whether that's going to happen about has to depend with what you're going to do with Jesus than anything else. So where is he at in your life? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to respond to Christ if you need to. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the privilege to stand this morning to share your word to remind people that you have called us, Lord, to be ready every day at all times, to be able, Lord, to give a defense, to give an answer for the reason of why we have hope in Jesus. And, Lord, today I pray for each person in this room that you would help us to be able to leave here, being able to go and do that. And whatever we need to do to get that right, whether it be saved, repent, or recommit, sanctify the Lord in our heart, but that, Lord, you would help us to leave here committed to this. In Jesus' name, amen.